Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to look at a number of portions, a number of portions of scripture that are going to possibly seem somewhat unrelated, but I want to get them out and then we'll, we'll just talk about, uh, a few things. So come with me to Luke chapter nine. Luke chapter nine, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 27. Jesus speaking here to three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John. No, I'm sorry, he's speaking to all of his disciples here. And then he takes Peter, James, and John, sorry. Verse 27, he says, But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Now it came to pass about eight days later after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. And his robe became white and glistening, and behold, two men talked with him who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, I don't like that word, Uh, some translations say of his departure, in the original language it's of his exodus, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep, and when they were fully awake, they saw his glory. And the two men who stood with him, and I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to go to Romans chapter 12, when they were fully awake, Romans 12, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 quickly. Romans 12, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Look at verse 2. It says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, I just want to comment before we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the event in the Gospels that we looked at where Jesus' appearance changes and he radiates with light is called the transfiguration. When it says his appearance changed, he was transfigured. All right. Now. The word here that Paul's using when he talks about don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed is the word transfigured. So he's not just talking about changing something about your life. He's talking about a transfiguration taking place in you, just like it did in Christ. But we lose that because of the translation. Got it? So don't be conformed to this world, but be transfigured. Present your body. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transfigured by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6. Paul writing again, he says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature. Yet not the wisdom of this age or of this world, nor of the rulers of this age or of this world who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what person knows the things of the person except the spirit of the person which is in them? Even so, no one knows the things of God but the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we speak not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. All right. A couple things in that passage that I just want to point out, and then I'll just start commenting and we'll see where this goes. <clears throat> Paul says, we speak a wisdom only among mature people, not among babies in Christ, only among the mature. A hidden wisdom, a wisdom that God has hidden in a mystery 
that he ordained before the worlds began for our glory, not for his, for ours. Read the text. That sounds almost blasphemous to say in the religious culture that we find ourselves in today, but it's still scripture. (laughs) So baby Christians are consumed with making sure God gets all the glory. Initiated Christians, Christians who have been initiated into the mysteries, who are mature, understand that there is a wisdom that God reveals not for his glory, but for your glory. So baby Christians are all about giving glory to God. Mature Christians are all about understanding that they have to manifest and reveal their own glory. Just let that resonate for a while. the opposite of what you might think, right? I can feel that. It's amazing, isn't it? Here's the point. What Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 is basically the transformation of a person from being strictly a carnal or material-related person or a natural person or a person who only expresses their unique personality. Because the word for natural there in the Greek ties to the personality of the person. So the baby Christian is a person who's locked into materiality, the material world, this world of matter, and only knows themselves as their personality. So, for example... When I am acting like a carnal believer, when I'm acting like a baby Christian, I'm only responding to what's going on around me in the physical world. I feel as though I'm limited to whatever's in my physical environment. And I only know myself as Aaron Tomlinson with a personal history that began in a year that I'm going to keep to myself. Sometime in the 70s. Right. So when I am being natural, I only know myself in the totality of my experience in this world. And the formation of who I am based on what the world told me I was supposed to be or to use Paul's language, being conformed to the pattern of this world or to use it in first Corinthians two, following what the rulers of this world tell me are appropriate and not appropriate. Right. So what Paul's talking about is literally an initiation of the spirit where the Holy Spirit takes hold of your life and begins to unlock for you your own essence, which transcends or goes beyond this material world into eternity. Therefore, it goes beyond everything you know about yourself in this life. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of man. In other words, it hasn't come to you through physical senses. The things which God has prepared for those who love him, which were set aside for you for your glory before the world began. What person knows the things of a person, the things of a person, except the spirit that is within them? So you could think about your spirit as being your divine essence. The part of you that still retains the memory of being made in the image of God. Or to say it another way, Paul said this. He said in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5 that we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world to be adopted as sons. So your essence is the part of you that remembers being chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. It's the part of you that is truly a child of God that reflects his image and his likeness in the earth. It is the deepest part of who you are. And nobody knows those things except your own spirit within you. So the Holy Spirit, who knows the things of God, comes and overshadows or works with your own essence. And as you cooperate with the Holy Spirit, you have to begin to shed the areas of your thinking where you have conformed to the rulers of this age, the wisdom of this world, and the pattern of this world. 
Therefore, your mind becomes renewed so that the light that you are can begin to be manifested in your life. Or you can be transfigured. Are you tracking with me? Everybody say initiation. If you think about, I I hesitate to bring this up, but if you think about secret societies, I mean, there's all these conspiracy theories. Who knows if they're true? I've never been a part of a secret society. My family comes from a long line of Freemasons, so I know a little bit about, you know, if you were going to be a Mason, you had to be initiated into the secrets of that society in order to belong, right? Now, we demonize that or whatever, who knows? All I can tell you is that Paul is using that same kind of language in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He's talking about mature people who have to be initiated, but it's not an initiation that happens that a person can take you through. It's only an initiation that happens that the Holy Spirit can take you through as your own divine essence cooperates with the Holy Spirit. So my goal is for this message is to help you recognize that initiation process that has happened in your life before and where you might find yourself heading into the new year that the Holy Spirit wants to take you through another process of initiation. Are you breathing? <laughs> and, and I said this in the first service and I, I kind of got shockwaves with that too, but um, if God's hand is really on your life, I feel sorry for you. Because he will initiate you, and it's not all light and glory and fun and, and joy. And here's why. Here, here's, here's a way to conceive of yourself based on Scripture, all right? Paul says we are light in the Lord. We have uh, examples from history that other religious groups, you realize Buddhists were around the first century, and Palestine was really a, uh, 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 an area where a lot of people would migrate through. And so it was a real melting pot of ideas. So you had Eastern ideas, Hindu and Buddhist ideas, as well as, of course, the Jewish ideas, as well as, of course, the Greco-Roman ideas. So you had it all kind of in this melting pot, and Jesus kind of shows up in the middle of all that, Right? And the early Christians. And so the Buddhists and the Hindus, they referred to the early Christians as those who followed the religion of light. Because we are light in the Lord. But we've kind of lost that conceptually. conceptually. So here's the thing. So you are, you in your essence, as a spirit, as a breath from the Almighty, as a spark of the divine, you, as a son and daughter of God, child of God, you are divine in your essence. And Paul says this, he says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. So you have to understand that the creation was created out of the mind and the heart of God. And, and creation is held together by the mind of God. Right? So to be initiated in the Spirit is to be initiated into the mind of God that holds everything together so that you can operate from a place of power and transforming situations and creation or consciously co-creating the future with God. But you have to have a different mindset. It requires a complete change of mindset in order to operate from that place. Okay, if we back up and think about when we were going through the four agreements, we talked about a domesticating process, how you are born with a with a divine essence. You're born with a destiny. You're born with a a destiny code. Every single one of you in here, every single one of you in here came with a divine essence, came with a, a purpose and a destiny that God had set had foreordained for you to have. But we are not taught that we actually bring it with us at a level of intuitive knowing because it is us. Right? So as we progress through life, we meet rulers of this age. The first one we meet is mom and dad. And they domesticate us or conform us to a certain pattern. As we're being conformed to that pattern, we make a series of choices at times between what reflects the expression of our essence and what reflects the rules that we're being told to follow. 
Just stay with me. Then we go to school and we meet other rulers of this age, teachers, principals. And throughout school, we are forced to make choices between daydreaming or listening to your algebra teacher lecture you about something you could care less about. Sorry, that's my own journey getting in the way. So my essence wants to daydream and my teacher wants me to learn algebra. And there's tension there. And so I'm getting, I'm flunking. <laughs> and they tell me, you will not progress in life unless you conform to our rules. So at some point I have to compromise my essence in favor of the rules. Tracking with me. Somewhere I learned what it means to be a good American. Right? Or if I'm born in Italy, what it means to be a good Italian. Maybe because my ancestors migrated here and I have a very Scottish genetic pool. Maybe I learn what is Scottish in my personality, like temper and all kinds of other unpleasant things that I'm sure there's good things there too, but... You understand? So do you see how each step of the way I'm meeting? So who tells me what it means to be a good American? The government. I pay my taxes. I... You tracking with me? So I conform. And the degree to which I can conform to the pattern of this world determines my level of normalcy in my society. Right? The degree to which what's in my essence matches what the group consciousness values as normal is the de- is, is determines the level of discomfort I will have in conforming to the pattern. I'll give you an example. If I am born, let's say, hundreds of years ago in Scotland, you all saw the movie Braveheart, right? to a warring tribe, and I'm naturally short-tempered, I'm naturally aggressive, I'm naturally violent, or, or, or I'm, a, I'm a, a go-getter, I'm a type A personality, we would call it today, then as I'm being trained to be a warrior in Scotland hundreds of years ago, my essence is matching the values of the society, and I feel comfortable in that role. Let's say today I'm a woman who's born in some really oppressive parts of the Middle East. And I have an aggressive, outgoing nature. But I'm to be seen and not heard and really not even seen because I have to cover up all the way. Now my essence does not match my culture. So now it's more of a struggle for me to become normal. You see it? So that we all, we all have this struggle between what's in our essence that needs to be unlocked for our glory that's carrying that which is divine and the pattern of this world to which we are being conformed. So that the initiation process of the Spirit is actually learning how to rebel. <laughs> learning how to rebel against the rulers of this age who told me what was right and what was wrong and what was normal and what wasn't normal. To discover by surrender to the Holy Spirit what's in my true essence so that my mind is renewed. I step out of what we might call group consciousness into my own individuality so that who I am can find genuine expression. And if you're in that process, I feel sorry for you. Because you won't fit in. All right, let's do it this way. Let's look at it psychologically. Carl Jung made a statement. This really wrecked my world when I read it. He made a statement. He said, sometimes you have to choose between being good and being whole. Now, what's interesting about that statement is the word holy 
in the Latin comes from the word whole. Or to be holy is to be completely who you are. So society might be saying something's good, but it may be conflicting with who you actually are. And you have to make a choice between conforming to the rules or allowing for a whole expression, a full expression of who you are. But most of us don't do that. So, in fact, all of us don't do that. We, we negotiate our way through this so that we can function in society. Are you breathing? So what we end up doing is we end up shaving off parts of ourselves to conform, parts of our essence to conform. And it goes into this really hidden dark place that Carl Jung called our shadow. So we have a social self that we present, which is really the mask that we wear. And then we have this like garbage dump of all this, all this essence, all these energies that we don't know what to do with. Are you breathing? And so <laughs> in the beginning, Genesis 1-1, what do we see? We see the Spirit of God hovering over the darkness that is in the deep. And he says, let there be light, which means all the light shines on whatever's in that darkness that's in the deep. And Paul said... In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that that is a paradigm for spiritual initiation. So what happens to us is we have all this stuff that gets shoved into the dark and into the depths of our consciousness. That as the Holy Spirit awakens us, he broods over that part of our life. See, I thought I was taught the Holy Spirit will only relate to the part of me that conforms to the rules. Right. So. I've got to present this in order to be acceptable to God. But I have all this other stuff. Right? And it's, 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 it's horrendously shocking when the Holy Spirit broods over that stuff and starts to bring it to light. Because if you and I are going to make any progress in the spiritual journey, we have to confront our shadow. We have to confront what's in the darkness that we don't want to look at about ourselves. But what we don't realize, initially at least, is there are treasures in the darkness. Remember in Isaiah, God said, I'll give you <laughs> the treasures of the darkness, the treasures of the hidden places. He's not just talking about gold underneath the ground. What he's saying is that in your essence is where all the treasure of who you are lies. And much of it is in the darkness. So when you face your shadow, you're actually discovering your own strength and your own power. Because that's the part of you that says, no, I won't conform. That's the part of you that actually has the strength to stand up to the rulers of this age. <laughs> but here's the problem. That's where your most powerful energies lie because that's where your greatest divine potential is. So those energies are very strong and very powerful, but they're also very disordered and disorganized because you weren't able to integrate them into who you are. Is this okay? Did I, I know this is maybe not what you came for today. Right. Somebody said shadow work. And that's the problem in Christianity. We have no tools for how to do shadow work and fully integrate those parts of ourselves into ourselves, and we don't understand that that's where our real divine potential resides. But if God's hands on your life, he's been taking you through initiations anyway. So here's the question. Is, are you, from your essence, cooperating with what God wants to do, or are you resisting it? And you might resist it because you're afraid of the conflict with the powers that it's going to create. Let's do it this way. Let's step back and do it this way. In your essence, you are divine material. That's what your spirit is. It's absolutely divine, full of all the potential of Christ. When you step into this body, this body 
veils that, hides it. When you step into the thought processes of this world and adopt them as your own, you're veiling it even more. So that you and I not only live inside a body, we live inside a mentality. We live inside an attitude. We live inside a belief system. We live inside a way of thinking that also veils the glory that's inside of us. And so the way that glory becomes unveiled is to have our psychological house dismantled. So how many of you have ever had a dream where you're in the house that you grew up in? Or it could be the house you're living now. But oftentimes it's the house you grew up in. And there's something scary in the house that's chasing you. It could take on any kind of symbolic form. Could be a monster, could be a killer, could be an unknown shadowy figure, could be an animal of some sort, some sort of ravenous animal. And you're running from it and you wake up scared like that. Welcome to your initiation. Because <laughs> remember, when they were fully awake, they saw Jesus in his glory. That means being fully awake to all of who you are. Are you breathing? <laughs> so how do we do this? Let me give you some practical examples. So, so this, a lot of this, <laughs> you have to pay attention. You have to pay attention to what's happening in your life. You have to pay attention to spiritual experiences that you're having regardless how subtle they are. And most importantly, you have to pay attention to what you're hungry for in the moment, in your essence. So I had an encounter last spring, and uh, the Lord told me, He said, um, You've walked, you've been initiated. He said, you're, you're, you're entering a new season of initiation. I didn't even have a language for this until last spring. But he said, he said, you've been initiated into the pathway of the healer. And as I thought back over my life, there was definitely seasons where everything about who I was in ministry and it was about healing, about healing myself and healing others. And some of you will remember we had miracle services almost every time we came together. People were physically being healed in their bodies. And then he said, you've been initiated into the path of the warrior. And so there were seasons... In my life, they were exceedingly difficult, where it took all of the determination that I had within myself to fight through circumstances to stay on the course that I was staying on. I thought I was just struggling. I had no idea I was being initiated on how to stand up for who I really was and sort of a, a spiritual warrior type initiation. I didn't even know I was in that. I just knew all hell was breaking loose, and, I, and there was something inside me that just refused to quit. And he said, you've been initiated into the pathway of the teacher. And so certainly I've done a lot of that. And then he said, in this next season of your life, see, I'm, I'm reaching that middle age time where my, you know, that transitional period, my, both my parents have made the transition. They both died and gone on, right? So the Lord said, now you're entering into an initiation in the path of wisdom. And it's totally different. And so I have to be honest with you, a lot of my belief system started getting challenged, and I started going through what uh, the mystics of old, and even up today if they're true mystics, would call the dark night of the soul. Because remember, Paul said the beginning is a pattern. So God hovers over the darkness, the chaos of the darkness. It says, let there be light. And then he separates the darkness from the light, and it says there was evening and there was morning the first day. So in God's cycles, a new day always begins at night, never in the light. Which means if you're really progressing into a new thing, you'll always go through darkness before you'll go through the day. And you know what the word darkness means in the Hebrew? You probably don't care, but I'm glad you asked. 
The word darkness means deviation. In other words, things deviate in the dark and you have no idea where you're going. Ever find yourself, you just know what you did before doesn't work anymore. Ever find yourself like Elijah? Elijah is a good pattern of these things. Elijah calls for a famine over all of Israel because God told him to. But he still has to eat. (laughs) So he's a victim of his own prophetic word. (laughs) So God sends him to a creek. And while he's by this river, ravens bring him food. But then one day the river dries up and the ravens quit coming. Which means the pattern of God deviated in his life. And God says, now it's time to do something else. There's a widow woman in Zarephath that I have commanded to provide for you. Get up and go to the widow woman. And he goes to this woman and says, make me something to eat. And she says, I don't have anything to eat. I only got a couple pieces of bread and me and my son are going to eat it and then we're going to die. That's where God sent him. (laughs) For provision. (laughs) Do you get it? See, there's all these circumstances that are happening in our lives. There are these times that we go through dry seasons. There are times that we go through where we had resources in our cupboard, if you know what I mean by that, for the season that we were in emotional resources, spiritual resources, energy, whatever. And then all of a sudden we just, it's like, it's like everything just changes. Everything just changes and we open up the cupboard and the cupboard's empty. And we don't have any, any resources anymore. And then our perspective begins to change. And how we think about ourselves begins to change. And then we get restless inside. Am I talking to the right group? Because if I'm not, then, then maybe God doesn't have his hand on your life. Seriously. And maybe you need, if you want that, because God won't, he really won't come where he's not invited. See, I was dumb enough to pray some of those prayers. Lord, I give you my life. <laughs> Make of it what you will. Anybody ever pray a prayer like that? If not, be happy. <laughs> Go home at peace. <laughs> Think positive thoughts all, all year long and be successful today and tomorrow. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? I'm saying there are times when, when your patterns get disrupted, when your life gets disrupted, when, when you're restless inside, when you can no longer deny uh, things about yourself that you know it's time to deal with them. And granted, these energies, if they're not integrated, they're destructive. They're chaotic. And so you, you have to embrace this thing with the moving of the Spirit who's able to take and integrate these things into your life in a way that's not destructive. So that things look differently now. I mean, I always use The Matrix. I mean, I saw the movie The Matrix. I've got to get some more modern movies. Some of you weren't even born when that was made. But remember how, how deja vu, they said deja vu, when you'd see something and then see it again or something, like he sees the cat, and then he sees the cat again, he says, oh, I just, that deja vu. They, and they said deja vu moments are usually when someone has changed the matrix. In other words, the programmers went in and changed the simulation. I've felt like that at times. I felt like things were working in my life and my life was going a certain direction and then all of a sudden I just wake up one morning and like everything's different. I want different things. I'm in touch with different things about myself. I'm seeing things differently. I'm being exposed to different information. I'm facing different battles. People in my life are changing and going crazy and I can't figure out why. And I just think somebody changed the matrix. Anybody ever been there? Or the holodeck. For the Trekkies back in the corner over there. By all the technical equipment. That's how you know an initiation has begun in your life. A new season of the Spirit. And part of the reason that we're called to love one another unconditionally is because it's the conditions that domesticated us and conformed us to the pattern of this world to begin with. 
And your essence cannot find full expression in an environment where it's not finding unconditional love. Now, before you put that on your mate or your friends or your church or your pastor or whatever to love you unconditionally, please understand God's the only one that's perfected that. Right? And the burden of loving unconditionally is as much yours as, which means sometimes you have to look at people in your life and say, I'm not going to judge you for judging me. Because remember, Paul says, the spiritual person, we just read it, is rightly judged by no one. Okay, that's kind of the downside of it. Here's the positive side of it. It can be a heck of a lot of fun. Like, I don't know about you, but I get bored with routine. Like, like how many routines do you have where you just stay in your lane and you do the same thing every time? Go to the restaurant and eat the same food. Go to the same restaurant eat the same food. Or two or three different items off the menu. Do the same thing when you wake up in the morning. Relate to the same people. Go to the same job. Whatever. Do the same thing for fun. Do the same thing Friday night for fun that you did last Friday night for fun. Like, and it gets, am I the only one that, like, that gets boring, that gets old? And, and so, so as this awakening process is happening, as this, the Holy Spirit is engaging you, it's, 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 it's also a time for incredible creativity. It's a time when you really can begin to own your power. See, when you own your shadow, you own your power. You don't have to give in to your shadow, but you have to own your shadow. You have to say, there are parts of me that don't conform to this pattern over here. And I don't know what to do with them, but I'm not going to project it onto somebody else. And I'm not going to blame somebody else. You know why, you know why most, you, you'll find this. You'll find that most angry preachers are past middle age. Well, most of them, not all of them. Some of them are just angry because they have that temperament. <laughs> But if you think about it, you'll find that, that a lot of your, 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 your when, when, when preachers reach a certain age and they begin to progress past that, they oftentimes become more judgmental and critical in their preaching. And it's because they're holding on to a pattern that they've conformed to that they're trying to get everybody else to conform to, and they've disowned their own shadow, so they project it out, and that's all they see in other people. See, Jesus said this, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a moat or a log in your own eye? What is that telling you? Look at the analogy. Every time I look at you, what am I seeing? That's why, I mean, they teach you this in counseling. 99% of the time when somebody is accusing their spouse, say, of having an affair, it's because they had an affair and they're projecting it. And they'll never own it because it's part of their shadow. But it could be anything. It doesn't have to be that. It could be anything that you're seeing. Oftentimes, what you're seeing in other people are opportunities to reflect back to you what you're refusing to deal with in your own life. So if you get mad at procrastination, what parts of you are procrastinating? <laughs> if you get mad at laziness, what parts of you are lazy? I was supposed to be talking about the fun part. Sorry. <laughs> Are you tracking with me? No, I don't want to say that. So, but, but here's the thing, because, because here's the thing. Because when we embrace this process, and when we embrace the Holy Spirit, and we embrace what the Holy Spirit is doing, then there is a discovery process that's going on inside of us where we are discovering ourselves. We're discovering the glory of who we are. We're discovering the divine potential of who we are. In other words, it's an invitation to begin to know myself completely differently. Because again, let's do this this way. Your essence is a divine spark. It's full of divine potential and divine abilities and divine power. Right? But it steps into this world and you put on this, this, this body and it veils it. And then you put on this personality that's conformed to this world. And you only know yourself as that personality. But here's the thing. When you die, you leave all that. See, yes, this is going to shake you. Yes, I have eternal life, but Aaron Tomlinson will cease to exist. Aaron Tomlinson will die forever. 
Because that's simply my ego. That's simply my personality. That's simply the mask that I wear. It's not the essence and it's not what Jesus was about saving. So that your journey is not so much God perfecting everything out here so you have a nice, comfortable, material life. Your journey spiritually is learning how to detach from all that so that you can know yourself in that way so that you can function normally in society, but you can transcend that to know the part of you that is divine and eternal and a son and a daughter of God. And it's, 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 it's so big it can't be contained in that personality. Does that make sense? So you begin to allow yourself to discover yourself in a different way and manifest yourself. You, you begin to realize that, I begin to realize that Aaron Tomlinson, I'm divine, holy, light from God. And the Aaron Tomlinson part of me is the mask that I wear through which that light can begin to find expression and touch the world. But it's not who I am. I can, it's, it's like a costume that I can put on and I can take off. See, Jesus, when he's down on the mountain, he's wearing his costume as Jesus of Nazareth. When he goes up on the mountain, he takes his costume off and the light of who he is radiates out. And God says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. So that who he is is the Christ of glory gets fully revealed and manifested by the renewing of his mind. Does that make sense to you? Does that give you something, hopefully? I guess what I'm trying to say is pay attention to those little things. See, most, most spiritual stuff starts subtle. Moses, you want to know what the new birth is? Moses goes through a reborn experience at the burning bush. Because, see, in his essence, watch how this works out in the life of Moses and we'll be done. You know the story, right? Moses is raised as an Egyptian, but he's not an Egyptian. He's an Israelite. His essence went floating down the aisle. Nile. Sorry. His mother, you read the story. His mother looks at the baby. The powers that be are murdering. It's a parable. Murdering the newborn babies to stay in power. But the mother looks at his essence and sees the brightness that's there, sees the brightness of his countenance. She's able to see past the mask into his essence. So she sends him down the Nile River, and he is adopted in Egyptian culture. But he's not an Egyptian. He's an Israelite. So as an adult, he goes out and he sees the enslaved essence. He sees the enslaved essence, and he sees that it is the Egyptian enslaving the essence so he reaches out and smites the Egyptian in order to kill it and buries it under the ground. Thus, he has created his own shadow. But everybody can always see your shadow, even if you can't, or remnants of it. So the Egyptians say, he's got to go. So he goes out in the wilderness, right? He goes out in the wilderness for 40 years. Right? So, he's, that's his life. He's a shepherd. Every day doing the same thing. Water the sheep, feed the sheep, whatever. Then all of a sudden he sees a bush. That's, the way he says, he says, he sees a bush that's burning and he turns aside to look. There were lots of burning bushes in the wilderness. It was just a common phenomenon, kind of like forest fires in a dry land or whatever. I mean, and actually in the original language, it's a burning tree. (laughs) So he turns aside to look. So it's subtle, but he turns aside to give it his attention. And so oftentimes your initiation will begin with very subtle clues, but you have to pay attention to those things. Then as he turns aside and he pays attention, and he steps into the experience. God tells him, take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground because, because you buried your shadow. 
and you've been running from it, but you can't run anymore and you've got to take off everything that's covering it and realize that what you're standing on is not something to be afraid of. It's actually an expression of your essence and it's holy and you've got to let God begin to process that. So take your rod. You know what a shepherd put on his rod? You know what was on a shepherd's rod? They would carve their personal history into their rod. They would car and then they would pass it down so that they had a record of who they were on their rod. So Moses had been leaning on his personal history all that time. And God says, throw down your rod. The issue for God at the burning bush is not about convincing Pharaoh that Moses is God's servant. It's all about convincing Moses that Moses is God's servant. So the rod turning into a snake did nothing to convince Pharaoh. So God says, throw down your rod, throw down your personal history. And what happens? It turns into a snake. And he draws back from it. And that's what begins. That's real shadow work. When you begin to look at your shadow, everything about your personal history, and you begin to realize that's a venomous snake that's going to kill me. If I don't learn how to get a handle on it. So Moses, don't shrink back from it. Pick it up. Get a handle on it. The next sign, he doesn't even show Pharaoh. Take your hand. Stick it inside your cloak. And he pulls it out. And what does he find? Leprosy. Death. Because he's got to process who he is. You realize when, when, when Moses leaves Egypt and he rescues the women from the, the robbers at the well so they can feed their sheep, they go back and tell Jethro, they say, an Egyptian, an Egyptian rescued us. Because, see, he doesn't look like an Israelite. Because he's been conformed to the pattern of Egypt. So now God tells him, you've got to go back and bring all of the enslaved essence out of bondage and into the promised land. And when Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration, and I've come full circle, Moses and Elijah appear with him to talk to him about his own exodus. <sighs> To talk to him about the shedding of all of the conforming of this world so that he can fully manifest who he is as a son of God. Because if he couldn't manifest the resurrection before he died, he'd never be able to take up his life again on the third day. The only people in the Bible, the only people in Jewish lore who had faces shining like the sun and raiment that was changed was people who had already died and gone into eternity. And so what Jesus is showing his disciples is that he's already attained the resurrection before he even goes into Jerusalem. And when he comes back down off the mountain, if you read the story, he tells James, John, and Peter, don't tell anyone about this until the Son of Man has been risen from the dead. But in the original language it says this. Don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man has risen again. <laughs> so if you don't understand, you can be transfigured without death. You'll spend all this time trying to kill the old self, trying to kill your shadow, trying to crucify your flesh to somehow attain glory. But if we put the transfiguration in its rightful place in the story, Jesus attained all of that before he went to the cross. And it was because he had attained it that he was able to face it. And it was because he had attained it that he was able to be raised from the dead. And so God's stripping off of us all that stuff that's about death so that we can manifest our real life. 
the divine essence, the divine spark of who we are. So if you felt like you weren't normal, if you felt like you've been out of resources, if you felt like somebody changed the matrix on you, if you're seeing things totally different than the way you used to see them, if you've been through a dark night, all of that is just part of the process of God's liberation for you. And I think for each one of us, somehow in this next time, God is going to meet us at our own personal burning bushes because somebody else can't give this to you. This can only be found when your essence engages the essence of God's divine spirit. But the end result is you'll have the mind of Christ. You'll be united in a place where your thoughts and your decisions and your choices carry real power and matter and make change. And you can confront every mountain and every situation in your life Not as a victim, but from a place of power, from a place of divinity, from a place of authority, from a place of assurance, knowing who you are in a way that transcends this world and brings the power of the kingdom of heaven into the earth in your life for your benefit and the benefit of everybody around you. Let's stand up. I hope that helped and made sense. I gave you what the Lord gave me to give you. I'm sure of that this morning. I might have stumbled along the way a couple times, but for the most part, (laughs) it was God's word. Amen? Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for these people. Thank you for your blessing upon our new year. Father, we ask that we will have grace and ease multiplied to the process as we engage your spirit and your spirit engages us. Lord, help us to discover the fun and adventurous side of it. Help us to be renewed, to be made new, to be made a new person, to be made a new man and a new woman through the renewing of our mind. Help us to challenge the power structures of our own mind that keep us in bondage. Show us where those things are and empower us in 2018 to go through the process. And we give you thanks, we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. If you can agree with that this morning, just say amen. God bless you. We uh, hope you have a wonderful, wonderful new year. We love all of you. And uh, I hope 2018 is really enjoyable and wonderful for all of us. God bless you.